Welcome to Federal Insights for October, sponsored by KPMG. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Tony Hubbard, Government Cybersecurity Lead at KPMG. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, thank you. So to begin with, uh, you know, we're talking cyber here. I wanted to kind of get the whole landscape of, of things. So where is cyber today in the, the realm of, of the federal sphere and also the, the, the industry sphere? I think it depends on kind of your perspective. If you're a glass half full or glass half empty. Sure. So I, I tend to be the glass half full. So if you, if you look at it from that perspective, there certainly continues to be uh, breaches and vulnerabilities that, that, that are coming out all the time and there's a lot of new challenges that are facing government organizations from a cyber perspective and, and that's going to always, that's going to continue. But the glass half full looks at the opportunities for both government and uh, industry to support those efforts and, and notably just we'll talk about it as we go along but one example that jumps out is around process automation. Mm -hmm. There are so many areas from a cybersecurity industry that can be automated, whether you're looking at things such as audit trail review, account management, uh, uh, threat, threat management, threat intelligence analysis and management. A lot of those processes, they're very manual right now. They require a lot of research by analysts. And, and any of those processes that are very manual oriented, require a lot of analysis can be automated. And so I'm excited about that opportunity to automate more of these processes because there's no question there's not enough cybersecurity professionals to deal with the challenges. So as an industry, we're going to have to automate more processes so that we can free up our cybersecurity professionals to focus on the more challenging tasks. So uh, again, I think it's a balance depending on your perspective. You could look at it if you're glass half empty that the sky's falling and we're never going to sure. get out of this this dynamic that we have, but like I said, from a glass half full perspective, I think there's a lot of potential and opportunity. I mean, it does have that dynamic where everything's changing, right? So you're, you're either, you're never going to be there. You're always going to be catching up, right? And, and so is government in a position right now where it feels uh, okay with things or is it, is it just kind of behind a little bit? You know, it's, is it prepared? I, you're right. The, the, there's, there's certainly the the dynamic that you're never you're never going to declare success you're mm -hmm. never going to say we've won that, that's just that's just not how this industry is going to ever and it, you could argue the same thing about the broader technology world you're you're always going to feel like we can do something better we can do something different we can be you know modernize our systems and certainly from a cyber perspective that's the case and so again it's going to be a work in process i think the best thing that organizations can do is you know, try not to get too wrapped around the axle from the complexity of a cybersecurity issue. So you look at a lot of the breaches that are happening, and in many cases, in some cases, they are very sophisticated attacks that are highly technical, but overwhelmingly, in the majority of the cases where there's a breach, these are not highly technical issues. You know, over 90% of breaches in malware still occur because somebody opened up an email, clicked on a link, or went to a web website they weren't familiar with and introduced malware into the environment. That's not a complex situation. And then if you look at the hygiene element, making sure that your systems are patched, making sure that you've got good Password, strong passwords on your devices. Those are. It's not. It's certainly easier said than done. But those are not complex solutions. Right. And and that's really, I think, where organizations need to continue to focus. Because it's sort of like having, you know, you go to bed at night, you lock your doors, 
you know, and hopefully if somebody comes trying to get into your house and your doors are locked, everything's locked up tight, they're going to go find another place, you know. So you're not necessarily going to prevent all breaches. If somebody really wants to get into your environment, they're most likely going to do reconnaissance and surveillance, and they're going to figure out a way to eventually get in. However, if you're, if you're limiting the risk and the attack surface such that it just makes it that much harder for them, they very well may go on to a... a Another entity or another, you know, another target. You know, that, yeah. you know, so that's. I think that's. Uh, so again, it's definitely a work in process. But as I said before, I definitely see a lot of potential. You, you talked about you know that person clicking on malware, mm-hmm. and obviously the human per- part is the weakest link of everything. So, how do you minimize that risk uh, within your organization and within government? Um, when you know the, the human nature is to be lazy, right? You want to make your password one two one two because right, that's right, that's right, that's right. the easy part to do, right? So you know how do you how do you kind of you know keep that um, that urgency in mm-hmm. things to make sure that that people aren't being lazy? It, so interesting, it gets back to this concept of hygiene again in yeah. terms of you know we talked about more some of more of the technical processes around hygiene is you know patching your systems, you know making sure there's passwords on devices, no missing passwords, things like that, but. One of the other key elements of, of good cyber hygiene is the security awareness and training element. As I mentioned before, there's significant amount of vulnerabilities now are continuing to occur because somebody woke up in the morning, maybe didn't have their coffee, and they click on they get an email in their box, and it's like, oh, that looks legitimate. I'll click on that link, yeah. and that's not that's more of a training and awareness issue. And, and a lot of organizations, all of us have to sit down and do our annual training and awareness, and it's like, oh gosh, I, I got to do that again, but. That, that continued training and awareness is an important element of it. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think continuing that kind of focus and just continuing the training and awareness and understanding that the, the part of the training and awareness is making sure that the, the end users know that they're part of the security challenge and part of the solution, meaning that it's not just the CIO's job, it's not just the CISO's job. If, if you're an end user, you are part of the security ecosystem. You're you're interacting with the internet. You're interacting with the world. You're interacting with email, and so you're putting yourself in a position where you could be bring vulnerabilities into the environment. So that concept of it's everybody's job is part of the training and awareness. It's critical. What kind of threats are you seeing right now? Is there anything that's new that's that's kind of hitting the the landscape right now, or is it? Just the same old malware and, and spyware that's you know always been an issue, just in different forms. No, there's there's certainly if you look at the concept of zero day vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. you know the vulnerabilities that we don't know about today, but we'll find out about shortly. There's so many, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of vulnerabilities in malware that are very basic, but certainly when you get into more sophisticated adversaries, uh, foreign nation states, th- th- some of these attacks are very sophisticated, and that's where it gets into the automation angle where there's no way our government organizations, as we talked about before, can keep up with this. So because of the, the uh, significance and the, 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 the evolving attacks and the vulnerabilities, that's where this automation angle has to play in. So to give you an example, uh, you know, one of the concepts we like to use is resilience, proactive cyber resilience versus being a reactive entity. You know, and this is where you apply some automation techniques into your threat intelligence platform so that you try to, techniques such as predictive analytics. So you can go out and look at the vulnerabilities that are out there now that are known about, try to do some predictive analytics around what that could look like, 
so that you may be able to predict the next zero day vulnerability. And, and, and so I think that that's an area, again, where there's a lot of optimism about from a cybersecurity industry that we can try to move forward and implement those kind of concepts so that we can hopefully predict the next zero day attack. Good job. No question, no question. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Uh, my guest today is Tony Hubbard, Government Cybersecurity Lead for KPMG. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Federal Insights Cyber, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Disruption waits for no one. So what exactly are you waiting for? At KPMG, we help government agencies embrace new technologies and implement agile operations to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. We help organizations advance in areas like digital transformation, cognitive analytics, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and much more. It's time to turn today's challenges into tomorrow's opportunities. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. Welcome back to the discussion Federal Insights Cyber, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Tony Hubbard, Government Cyber Security Lead at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. So Tony, we just went through the, the whole landscape of everything, and I think one of the things that's really hitting government hard right now is, is supply chain. Right. Um, and you know we've seen a ban on uh, ZTE and Huawei and all that kind of stuff. So um, you know, w- what are you seeing with supply chain now that it's, people are kind of catching on to it? Yeah, there's no question that is arguably right at the top of the list from a challenge perspective, just because of the complexity of so many moving parts to it. If you look at the entire, certainly the defense industrial base, if you look at the ecosystem involved, from a technology and a cybersecurity perspective. There's just so many moving parts, so many uh, vendors. I heard recently, like the F-35 program, there's over a thousand vendors uh, yeah. involved with that. So how do you how do you manage the security and the risk around that? And again, there's no, like we talked about earlier, there's not necessarily a silver bullet or an easy answer. And I really, a lot of it gets back to some of these basic hygiene topics we were talking about. If you look at some of the major breaches that have occurred, let's say over the last several years, a lot of them have been supply chain, third party vendor type of issues. So having an inventory of your vendors and knowing knowing who you're doing business with is kind of step one. It's kind of the same concept with your your own technology environment, whether it's having an inventory of your systems, an inventory of your devices, and in this case, an inventory of your providers. If if you don't know what you have, you can't secure it. So having that, first off, having that inventory of your providers is critical. Then secondly, doing a risk assessment around those vendors and those providers so that you know of of thousand vendors that we have, there's probably 10, 15, whatever the number might be that are most critical to this entity that we're trying to secure. And then figuring out from a risk management approach, what do we do about it? Do you know for the for the higher risk vendors, it might involve going out and doing our own security test and evaluation or penetration testing, vulnerability assessments around those entities. If it's a cloud provider, making sure that you've got uh, FedRAMP accreditation for those mm-hmm. providers. If it's uh, another third party, you know, AICPA SOC one, two, three reports are good from an independent assessment perspective of those entities. Just Try to have good governance around that process so that you at least do everything you can to try to make sure that those third parties are securing your data and supporting you in, in a secure manner. Again, easier said than done, but that it kind of starts with that basic governance process. And I mean, a lot of times, you know, what happens is the the subcontractor gets a subcontractor, and then you know, you don't know who has what, right, and what right, kind of right. equipment that they have. So. 
you know, would government benefit from just saying, you know, we need to have a scorecard, everyone needs to fill out this scorecard and keep us up to date, you know, is maybe some sort of legislation on that a good idea for the, the country? Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned that because certainly the DOD is coming out with this new cyber maturity certification program, CMMC, that's being led. And, and that's kind of designed to go down that path, that for the defense industrial, contractors supporting the defense world are gonna now be subject to these certifications and reviews by DOD, which are gonna go in and assess some of the same things we're talking about. And, and that's coming about because of all these concerns around the supply chain and the defense industrial base. So I think that's positive. There's a lot of positive energy and buzz across Department of Defense about the CMMC program. And, and that could hopefully help with, with uh, addressing some of these potential vulnerabilities and then hopefully having the contractor world remediate them. And, you know, what's going to be expected of industry to, to do that? I mean, do you know, there's like the NIST framework, right? Mm-hmm. And or, or, Yeah, the framework. And that is a very uh, stringent set of, of things that the industry needs to follow and government needs to follow. Is this something that's similar to that? It, it is somewhat similar, and that is part of the challenge. As as government contractors, there are a lot of frameworks that we need to comply with. You got the NIST, CSF, cybersecurity framework, the risk management framework. Now you're going to have the CMMC effort, and and so that it is difficult as a government contractor to make sure you're checking all those boxes and having controls in place to to satisfy that. But that that's that's the reality of the world we're living in. And there's a lot of debate. You know, if you look at even going back years and years ago when the FISMA legislation came out, is are we, as a government ecosystem, are we more secure now because of FISMA, for instance? And there's, there's debate about that. I, I would argue that maybe FISMA doesn't necessarily equate to comprehensive uh, increased security controls, but there's certainly no question it's created more awareness about the issues and the vulnerabilities. And so from that perspective, a lot of this legislation could be positive. But at the end of the day, it's still going to be incumbent upon the contractors or the government agencies to really, as we talked about before, have this good cyber hygiene in place around some of the basic controls. And when you say FISMA, you're doing the, the Federal Information Sharing Act, uh, right? Federal Information Security Modernization Act. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, which, and is that partly sharing information, though, between industry and, and government? Yeah, good point. So that, yeah. that was certainly one of the key elements originally of FISMA. And then over a series of years, there's been more other legislation that's that's tried to promote more information sharing among industry and government. And I think to a, to a certain extent with some mixed results, because there's just a lot of industry organizations that are just going to be hesitant to share their yeah. information about having a breach. And that's where I think having, there's there's a number of, of third party kind of nonprofit organizations uh, that have, have popped up that can kind of help bridge some of that gap. And I think that that's a really good thing. So in terms of getting government folks and industry folks together to in the same room to kind of talk about threats, talk about vulnerabilities, and share that information in that form, that's been very positive. So hopefully, but again, that's that's a small piece of it. In terms of broader scale information sharing, it's, it's still a work in process. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I was going to ask was, is industry open to doing that? Mm-hmm. Because I, I'm, for what I've heard, at least, it's it's not really happening. It's kind of one-sided. You know, DoD pushes out mm-hmm. its thing, and industry is kind of a little crickets on on that on their side. Um, you know, where is that hesitancy coming from? Well, I think it's as we talked about a moment ago. If you're an organization and you have a breach, you know, in some organizations, obviously, depending on their their strategy, their communication style, the, you know, some will freely and openly 
let folks know. And in some cases, it gets out regardless. Yeah. But but in other cases, you know, there's just there's going to be a hesitancy, uh, to maybe sometimes to share that information, and so and that's where I think a lot of the legislation is heading to try to promote more of that information sharing and. Uh, you know, kind of a, a Chatham House rules kind of thing is like if you share it, there's no repercussions. We just need this right. information to try to make sure the whole ecosystem is more secure. And so hopefully that that will continue. Great. Well, we're going to take another break. Mm -hmm. uh, my guest today is Tony Hubbard. He's the government cybersecurity lead at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on the discussion Federal Insight Cyber, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Innovation. Everyone says it. At KPMG, we know actions speak louder than words. For over 100 years, KPMG has helped federal agencies adapt to changing times with innovative approaches. Today, we're helping agencies advance in areas like cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cognitive analytics, and secure cloud. Let our past experience help propel your future forward more quickly and with greater agility and efficiency. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. Welcome back to the discussion Federal Insights Cyber, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Tony Hubbard, Government Cybersecurity Lead at KPMG, and I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. So we just finished up about supply chain, which is always an interesting discussion. And then, you know, part of the supply chain is you, these companies that people, the government contracts with, are providing cloud. And cloud is this you know, whole new realm of things that, that everyone is, is uh, uh, trying to work with. So um, how is cloud helpful to government at, at this point? Well, it's certainly, it, like any any newer technology, when I, I say newer, because cloud's been around for quite a while. I know there's right. still a lot of buzz about cloud being a disruptor, but it's been around for quite a while, and a lot of organizations, as we were just talking about, you know, have already moved many of their applications into the cloud. So. But you're right, there is still this newness around it, and a lot of organizations are still trying to figure out what it's, notably Department of Defense, is there's a lot of buzz about, we're going to the cloud, we're going to the cloud. And and it's like any strategic initiative, cyber aside for a minute, is what is our, what what are we trying to accomplish with this? You know, what is our mission objective, and how is that going to be enabled by moving applications or a capability into the cloud? I was in a meeting just about a month ago, obviously I won't mention the name, but the, the, it was an interesting conversation. We were having a discussion with a senior executive who was saying, we, we need to move to the cloud, and what are the security implications around that? And so we started, we talked a little bit about that, and, and it, but then we kind of brought it up a level and said, so why, you know, what, what's your mission objective by moving to the cloud? Uh, well, the, the executive said, we have to do it. Yeah, it's like well, okay, let's pull that back a little. What do you What do you mean? You have to? Well, they said that's just that's where government's moving. We got to get into the cloud. Well, that might not necessarily be the right answer all the time. So there, I think it needs to start there it, it, from a broader technology kind of enablement question. How is the cloud going to enable our business and our mission? And then if the right answer is okay, we're going to transition into some some of our capabilities into the cloud. Then it becomes okay. There's a number of conversations then. But from a cyber perspective, then you're talking about, you know, your contractual agreements, making sure that there's uh, service level agreements in place. Because I think there is sometimes still a mindset: if if we push stuff out to the cloud, from a day our data is out in the cloud, that it's you know it's not our it's not our deal anymore. It's not our responsibility, yeah. which is obviously flawed. That and so making sure that you know what their controls are being put in place around the cloud environment, 
how it's managing and protecting your data is, is going to be critical. I mean, it, it is, it's a production multiplier, right? It helps a lot of things, but it's also a liability. So it, it, for government at this point, is the, the juice worth the squeeze, you mm-hmm. know? And, and is, is it helpful enough? Yeah. And that, again, that, that really gets back to more of a strategic dis- discussion. And this is where, you know, we're seeing a number of organizations integrate cyber security more into those conversations. I think historically, from a legacy perspective, oftentimes those kind of decisions were made in, in a back room somewhere, and the cyber team would be, oh, would find out maybe, you know, 90% of the way into the implementation, somebody called up cyber, and oh, by the way, you know, what's this risk management framework process? We need to get an ATO for our system. Can you all take care of that next week? And So I think we're starting to transition to more of a discussion around getting cyber into that discussion up front. Uh, I'll call out, um, you know, one of our, you know, the U.S. Postal Service, you know, one of our colleagues that works there, Greg Crabb is a CISO, and, and they're doing a fantastic job of, of building an executive risk management approach around cybersecurity so that now any kind of technology implementation that the Postal Service is doing, Greg and his CISO team are right there in that conversation. And so that's, that's, that's a good template for a lot of organizations to move to. Because it really fosters more of that, the risk management conversation around cyber, and, and it's a risk management discussion where you know years ago the discussion around cyber, whether we're moving to the cloud or otherwise, is how do we prevent a breach? And now the recognition is, if somebody wants us bad enough, they're going to get us if they haven't already. So now the discussion isn't so much about preventing a breach. Yeah, you need to do all the hygiene and things we talked about, but now the conversation turns to more. How do we manage the risk around that? How do we make sure that, from like a technology architecture perspective, we've segmented our crown jewels, our highest priority data elements, into a place where maybe they're a little harder to get, understanding that maybe we can't secure everything in that way. So that, that, that's the conversation that I'm excited about moving forward as an industry. Is, is cyber is starting to get more integrated into that 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 strategic conversation. So it's almost like that old football strategy, bend and don't break kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, you, you know, you take the field goal instead of, you know, letting them score a touchdown, right? So you, you, you have, they have less points, but you're, you're still protecting what you need to protect. Yeah, right? I yeah. think that's a good analogy. That is, a, that is a good way to frame it because, yeah, you, you need to know, again, that if you're going to give up a field goal, you know if somebody's at your 10-yard line and time's running down, they're, they're, they're probably nine times, out of, nine times out of 10 going to kick a field goal and it's successful. But you're right, if you can keep them out of the end zone and, and try to limit it as much as po- limit your risk as much as possible, then that's, I think that, that's, that's a good sign. That's kind of where we're going, I think, from an industry discussion. How important is it for government to to get into this realm, do you think? Because so in the DOD world, they're talking about being really concerned about China and Russia. Some it's a country, countries that can go quickly, that don't have to worry about the acquisition issues Mm -hmm. that the United States has to work with. Um, You know, the United States has a much harder time with those things. So, um, you know, in order to stay ahead, to stay, to be a, a functioning government, you know, how important is it to get on the cloud and to, to work these things? Uh, again, I think it really de- it can depend. You know, yeah. if you look at some of the, uh, uh, you know, again, newer initiatives, cloud is always talked about, and it should probably always be part of the, uh, of the discussion. But, you know, especially now as from, again, looking at it from a cyber perspective around an attack surface, whether it's cloud, whether it's mobile, Internet of Things, all of these are these elements are creating more attack surface, and and you're right. I mean, there's no 
question that our, our adversaries oftentimes don't have to deal with processes and frameworks and things like that. And, and they, they just can do what they need to do when they want to do it. And so we have to operate in a little different environment, a little bit more structured environment. And that certainly can be challenging at times. So no question. Yeah. And, and then there's also the expectation from, from employees too, right? I mean, it, they go outside of their job and have all these great things that they can access through the cloud. You know, mm-hmm. my Chrome tells me all my passwords and everything that I need. Right. Um, and I don't have to think about it. On the right. other side, you know, you go back into your government building and it's like, you know, it's 1999 again. So what, um, you, you know, does, is cloud important for retainment and retention and, and, um, and recruitment as well. Yeah, no, no question. I, I think just just technology in general is critical, and this gets back to again putting the cybersecurity lens on it. Is from a recruiting perspective, you know, we we struggle with this too. Uh, government contractors and, and DoD, for instance, struggle with it. Is recruiting top talent and then creating an environment where they can be successful and energized. And meaning that, you know, we have an example right now where there's some legacy contract requirements that say uh, to support this contract, you need to be here nine to five and you need to work in this environment, this data center. And, and that's just not that appealing to, I mean, if, it's, if there's security angles to that, understand you got to work in a, in a highly secure arena, then that's where you have to work. But in this particular case, that's not really the case. You can work remotely and there are security ways to allow that to happen. But that's what the contract says, so that's what organizations like us have to comply with. But when you talk to somebody who's just new out of college and they're used to just working wherever they want to work, communicating however they need to communicate, connecting however they need to connect, they're not, might not be interested in that kind of, of model. So we need to just collectively make sure we're looking at ways to attract and retain this kind of talent because uh, there's just, as we talked about a number of times, there's just not enough cybersecurity professionals. And figuring out a way to get people, uh, or students out of the, the colleges, or even for that matter, high, middle and high schools, interested in cybersecurity so that, that they want to make it a career path is critical. But then also creating that environment where they can be excited and challenged and work in an environment that's exciting for them is critical as well. Great. Well, Tony, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we're going to wrap up. I'd like to thank you again. Tony Hubbard is the Government Cybersecurity Lead at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG. Thank you to listening to Federal Insights for October, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Innovation. Everyone says it. At KPMG, we know actions speak louder than words. For over 100 years, KPMG has helped federal agencies adapt to changing times with innovative approaches. Today, we're helping agencies advance in areas like cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cognitive analytics, and secure cloud. Let our past experience help propel your future forward more quickly and with greater agility and efficiency. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. Disruption waits for no one. So what exactly are you waiting for? At KPMG, we help government agencies embrace new technologies and implement agile operations to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. We help organizations advance in areas like digital transformation, cognitive analytics, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and much more. 
It's time to turn today's challenges into tomorrow's opportunities. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com.